0: Tuesday evening, we had the privilege and honor here at Christ Community of singing that very song uh, with members of the Shelby Baptist Association. Uh, that's 30-some churches that uh, are in our county, our community, that are on uh, the same mission that we are, to love God, to love people, and to see people find freedom in Christ. And um, one of the challenges that came out of that evening was to take time in our gatherings as churches to pray for uh, specific churches and their pastors. And so uh, here in just a minute after I read the word and we pray for our time in the word, uh, we're going to include uh, Dover Baptist Church in that prayer because, man, we're on a mission. Four out of five people in Shelby County don't know Jesus. They don't have that hope. And uh, we need our brothers and sisters in Christ out of Dover and Pastor Ben Early uh, to be, uh, man, running at full steam with the gospel just as we are. Uh, again, welcome if you're new with us. Uh, if you want to find a digital bulletin, uh, some notes for our sermon, you can find us in the Bible app. I think you go to the More tab, Events, and Christ Community Church, Governor Square should be there. This morning, we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 5, if you've got a paper Bible or a digital Bible. And uh, we, we're, we're taking time as a church to just go through the book of Hebrews. And it's all kind of under this big veil, this big picture, that Jesus is still the answer. Uh, The author of Hebrews is is hoping to convince his people, uh, the people that are reading this, that when they think about maybe there's a better way, maybe there's a a better alternative, maybe we should just go back to what we've always done and what we've always known. He says, no, 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 Jesus is still the answer. He's still the better answer. And so uh, it's in that light that we're going to jump into Hebrews 5, kind of a new section in the letter, uh, verses 1 through 10. So let me read that for us and then pray for our time in the word. Says, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed in matters pertaining to God for the people to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he is also clothed with weakness. Because of this, he must make an offering for his own sins as well as for the people. No one takes this honor on himself. Instead, a person is called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not exalt himself to become a high priest. But God, who said to him, You are my son, today I have become your father, also says in another place, You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. During his earthly life, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. After he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And he was de- declared by God a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Jesus, we thank you for being our great high priest. God, we thank you for your word and we pray and yearn and ask that the Holy Spirit will come and teach it to us. Reveal to us the truth of who you are and how that changes the way that we live our lives. We thank you that we can be a part of uh, the church, your bride, Jesus. May we be reminded this morning and every morning that we are just one small expression of that. And we pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ at Dover Baptist. We pray that uh, they would not only have a great morning of worship, but that you would call their hearts, that you would set their hearts on fire for mission, for reaching people, for discipling them, we pray for Brother Ben as he leads them. That you would keep him strong and steadfast. That you would be with he and his wife. We thank you for them. We thank you for your word and for this ministry. In Jesus' name, amen. The Pledge of Allegiance on this 4th of July weekend says, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands. One nation under God. Indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Ironically, we aren't even as a nation indivisible on what the words of our pledge should be. Do you see the irony? You know, as our nation celebrates our freedom this weekend, uh, I, am, I am really, really grateful really grateful to be a a citizen of the united states of america we get to taste man just a small taste of liberty and justice for all a small taste that is so much greater than in many other places in our world and yet days like we've been in makes my heart long for more like there's got to be more liberty and justice for all doesn't yours long for that like more we taste it but it's not enough And the same is true in our Christian walk. And so today, as we read this passage and as we explore it, we want to talk about a nation that is not only under God and indivisible, but it is full of liberty and full of justice for all. But it's also holy. It's a nation in which you can be part of a priesthood. You say, whoa, you had me until that. You want me to be a part of a priesthood? What does that even mean? This passage here in Hebrews 5 helps us to understand so much and points us to so many things about what priest and priesthood is all about. So what is a priest? Hebrews 5, these first three verses, help us to define it. A priest is an intercessor. He stands between a holy God and an unholy people. In the Old Testament, this was uh, most often thought of as someone who would offer the sacrifices and and execute many of the the religious duties that made them right in God's eyes, made people right in God's eyes. The priest was the one that that helped people to, to deal with or to make payment for their sins. But culturally, like when I say priest, there's something entirely different. Religiously speaking, uh, the Roman Catholic Church, the Eastern Orthodox Church, the the Anglican Church, they refer to priests. Uh, There are other religions, Hinduism and Islam, that that have priests. and I'm sure there's others, but we don't. And and that just brings up all these questions that maybe you've thought about, maybe you haven't. Why why is that? What does it mean to be a priest today? Uh, Why do these other religions have priests and, and we don't? Who will go between my unholy self and and a holy God? I mean, we we need a priest if that's what they do. And as we seek to understand some of these uh, questions and and try to find some answers, we're not going to answer them all today, but but we have to start by thinking about something that that must have been really troubling for, for most of the priests, even in biblical times, Verses 2 and 3 describe the priest. And it says, He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he is also clothed with weakness. Because of this, he must make an offering for his own sins as well as for the people. You know, so often in our society and culture, we, we kind of level up somebody who's a leader who would, who would say, Oh, I can do this for you. And, and with the priest, it's no different. And yet this text tells us that these priests are clothed with weakness. They had to make a sacrifice for themselves first. If you want a fun read this, we go back to Leviticus 16. In Leviticus 16, God is originating the the priesthood through Aaron, and he talks about this process. He says, listen, you're still a sinner. You have to deal with your sins as well as the sins of all the people. And and in doing that, Aaron would have to to go in and sacrifice a bull uh, on behalf of himself before beginning to make sacrifice for the sins of the nation. I just want you to try and put yourself in Aaron's shoes for a minute. And I'm not even sure we can understand, because we, like, we just don't culturally do this. Like, For lack of a better word, Aaron had to, to go through this process of butchering a cow on behalf of his own sins. Like That whole process, everything that's, that's involved in that, thinking about his sins thinking about all the things that he had done wrong before moving to his job of of butchering more animals on behalf of the sins of the people. I can't imagine what it would have been like to have to take all that time sacrificing a bull for my own sins. I mean, can you imagine how emotionally draining that would be? Like, If I stop and I take 10 minutes in the morning to do a quiet time and the Lord calls a sin to my mind, I'm like, oh, Lord, it's too much. I can't take it anymore. Like that's, I'm just done, right? And I need the good news of the gospel to like give me some energy for the day. But Aaron, as a priest, had to go through that process the entire time. He's butchering a bull. It doesn't look like that for us today, but what does that look like? What does it look like to try and be a priest for ourselves? And I asked that question... Because I think that's the temptation for many of us in modern day America. We recognize that there's a sin problem inside of us. We recognize that there are things that we struggle with and battle against and are tempted by. And instead of giving them to our great high priest, which we're going to talk about in a minute, we try to become our own priest. We try to make a sacrifice for our own sins. What happens when we do? We can't live in freedom because we're imprisoned by our past. We don't disciple our children or anyone else for that matter because we feel inadequate to do so because we we haven't dealt with our own sins. Guys, as men, we struggle to be spiritual leaders in our homes because we're too afraid to deal with our own mess first. I'll help you deal with your problems, but I'm not sure I'm willing to, to make sacrifice for my own sins. We don't share Jesus with others because we're intimidated by our own limitations. We, we don't teach our kids about money or power or sex because our relationship with money and power and sex is, is poor. We judge. We judge for a variety of reasons. And we do that because it's easier than admitting that, that we haven't dealt with the things that are in our past or are still present in our life today. We're start, we start trying to be our own priests, right? Right? It's a burden that's too great to bear. We try to make up for or cover our sin instead of confessing it to the Lord. We seek revenge on those who have sinned against us. We take justice into our own hands. It's our responsibility. We take advantage of any power that we can get our hands onto, and many times without knowing it, we begin to use that power wrongfully against others. We use the resources that God has given to us to serve others with, to instead become our own priest and try to deal with our sin on our by ourself see the hardest thing to be saved from is ourselves. you have to stop trying to save you even as followers of Christ this is a great temptation day in and day out but you have to stop trying to save you because it's the only way that Jesus can save you from yourself And that's what this text is all about. Jesus is the only priest who can save you from yourself. After introducing the idea of what it meant to be a priest in biblical times, in verses 1-3, through we jump into this section where he, he begins to talk about Jesus as our great high priest. And the first thing that he does is he compares Jesus to Aaron. In verse 4, he says, No one takes this honor on himself. Instead, a person is called by God, just as Aaron was. He, he makes people think about Aaron, and, and that would have been the only kind of priest that, that these people knew. All priests had come from the line of Aaron, from, from his heritage. Every priest since Aaron had come from Aaron. So calling Jesus a priest was a big deal to his Jewish audience because Jesus didn't come from that line. And so this is, a, this, is a, this is a big flashing light. This is a signal. I'm talking about something different. Jesus is a different kind of priest. This isn't just the guy to take your sheep to. This is Jesus. This is the one that, that you've left your Jewish faith for because he was a better answer for you and for your sins. But if he wasn't a priest from the line of Aaron, how would he qualify then? How, how could he be a priest? And verses 5 and 6 give us that answer. It says, in the same way, Christ did not exalt himself to become a high priest. But God, who said to him, You are my son, today I've become your father, also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. The author of Hebrews, I love his both and mentality. And and he quotes from two passages in the book of Psalms to teach us that, that Jesus is both Lord and Savior, he's both king and priest. Let me explain. When he says in verse five, you are my son, today I've become your father, it's a quote of Psalm two, verse seven, which says, I will declare the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son, today I've become your father. This goes back to a quote when David was anointed as king. And this became something that was said to all the kings in the line of David. It declared Jesus as king. And then it says, it also says in another place, verse six, and he quotes Psalm one ten four. four, Which says, The Lord has sworn an oath and will not take it back. You are a priest forever, according to the pattern of Melchizedek. This makes Jesus a priest. He is both a king and a priest. And you say, wait, hold on. Who is this Melchizedek, and what does he have to do with anything? Well, the author of Hebrews is going to spend a lot of time on this as we go forward. But a quick introduction comes in Genesis 14. In Genesis 14... There's a man named Abram, who would later become Abraham. He takes his personal army, and he defeats four kings in order to save Lot. And after he defeats them and takes all of their possessions, he meets this really interesting guy named Melchizedek, who was the king of Salem, which is a- another term for an earlier name of Jerusalem. Melchizedek blesses Abram after his, uh, his victory in battle. And when he does... Abram makes a tithe to him. He gives a tenth of his plunder because Melchizedek is also the priest of Salem. He's a king and a priest. Keep in mind that this is before Moses and the Ten Commandments. This is before Aaron's line of priests ever existed. This, Melchizedek, was a priestly king. And Mel- the author of Hebrews is going to take us deeper into this in the future weeks, but for now, we notice that the author is saying that Jesus was of this entirely different order of priests that superseded Aaron's line, that came before. He was different. Jesus wasn't just our king, he was also our priest. Now we know that he's more than that. But this was revolutionary thinking for this audience. Because you see, many of them had accepted Jesus as king. They wanted him to come and overthrow the government and be their leader, hoorah! They were ready for Jesus as king. They hadn't embraced him as their priest. They hadn't embraced him as the one who would completely forgive their sins forever, the one who redeemed them and made them whole, the one who took the dark areas of their life and shined a healing light on them. Now, this is huge for us, right? Because it's really easy to talk about them and forget about us. But for us, we are always hungry for that next strong leader. Give me someone who can communicate a clear, visionary message that promises a better tomorrow, and we will flock to them in droves and share their stuff on social media. But a priestly king? Someone who wants to walk close to me and, and help me deal with my sins? Blake, are you saying you want me to like open up and find that, that new, better tomorrow is, is actually inside? It's, it's, it's something that the Lord wants to bring out in me as he gets sin out of me? You want me to open myself up to to losing power and credibility, to to deal with sin, become more holy? No thanks. I'll take Jesus as king. I'll follow him, but stay out of my stuff. I'll save myself from myself, right? Jesus, thanks for leading us, but I don't need your help. So how would Christ lead as a priestly king? Verse 8 lays out how Jesus held this beautiful tension. It says, Although he was the son, implying he is the king, he learned obedience from what he suffered. He was the son, the heir to the throne, gifted in all the ways, but he was also obedient to his role as a priest. He endured suffering, not because he wanted to, but because he needed to for his people. He dealt with the mess of our sins because love compelled him to do so. In this, Christ secured your salvation, an eternal salvation. Jesus is the only high priest that you will ever need. And he was that before you ever knew you needed it. Say, okay, great. Jesus is a great high priest. Add that to the list of things for Jesus. Check. Yay. Hooray. What changes because Jesus is my great high priest? Here's what's crazy about Jesus and the good news that comes with his story. He didn't just become your high priest so that he could save you from your sins. He also calls you to join him in his priestly work. He empowers you through the Holy Spirit to find identity and purpose as you become part of this thing called the priesthood of all believers. You see, you are not only saved from yourself, you are saved to his mission. 1 Peter 2.9 gives us insight into this, this calling that he puts on our lives as believers. Peter writes, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Very quickly, I want us to dissect this verse and begin to apply it to our lives. So think about how it changes the way that we live and walk day to day. Because I believe with all my heart that if you will make a priority change in your life to make Jesus' mission your first priority, it will radically change everything about the way you live. What changes when you make Jesus' mission your first priority? When you become a part of this priesthood? I believe there's four things we see here very quickly. Number one, your racial identity takes a backseat to your identity in Christ. Peter writes, but you are a chosen race. Notice when I said that I didn't say that your racial identity goes away, but it certainly takes a backseat. Culturally, there are good and honorable differences that need to be celebrated and recognized and appreciated. But when we are in Christ and and, and getting there, right, getting in Christ is often the barrier. We are, as this text says, one race in Christ. If this is true, you and I will do things that, that don't make sense to our racial identities, but that do make sense in God's kingdom, For me, here's some that I've identified. I I will not allow racial slights or jokes about stereotypes to go on in family gatherings. Things that, that were maybe said in nervousness that just don't need to be said. I will worship in ways that aren't comfortable or preferential to myself. It's hard for me to clap on different beats sometimes. And yet, there is a beauty in stepping outside of my comfort zone and worshiping with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I will listen completely without seeking to defend immediately. And that one's tough because I want to be right. What is it for you? What is it about your racial identity that needs to take a back seat to your identity in Christ? In Christ, you are a chosen race, one chosen race in Christ. In Christ, you are also a royal priesthood, it says next. The Gospel Coalition in a blog post about this idea writes, Therefore, Christ was the final priestly mediator between God and his people, and Christians share in that role through him. This means that Christians are not dependent upon the priests within the church to interpret scripture for them or affect God's blessing of forgiveness for them. All Christians are equally priests through Christ and stand upon the same ground before the cross. Amen, and thank you, Jesus. And so as we try to join him in that, right, how's the church done that? How have we tried to be a priest alongside of Christ? Say, well, I'm not Jesus. We got that down. So we know that we're not trying to get people to come to ourselves, but rather to go to Jesus. And so to get them to go to Jesus, we've done things like, well, if I can just get my friend to church, if I can just get them to make a decision, if I can just get them to be baptized, then I'll, I'll get them to Christ and they'll be good to go. Robbie Gallaty would say about that kind of Christianity, that we're only preaching half the gospel. In fact, I heard him recently go as far as saying that's like spiritual child abuse. Can you imagine, can you imagine saying, child of mine, I know where you can get food. Let me take you to the food. See you next week. (laughs) And yet so often that's what we do. We get people to the food, we take them to Jesus, but then we just leave them there and, and, and expect that they're going to know how to get their food and, and prepare a meal and, and, and do all of those things. And, and so what he's pointing to is this huge lack of, of discipleship that I believe is rooted in this idea of, of being a priest to one another, a priesthood of all believers say, but Blake, I struggle to even have a conversation with those closest to me in my family about where we are spiritually. Like, we just don't even have those conversations. How can I in my daily life be a part of this royal priesthood? It's so much simpler than we often make it. It won't be perfect, but we have to start somewhere. And so you help people not only know that Jesus can pay for their sins, but you walk with them as they deal with their sin. Over and over and over and over. And and grace says over and over and over, pointing them to the good news of Jesus Christ, to the great high priest who paid for their sins. You pour through scripture with them, and and as a result, you're living out your calling of, of being a part of this royal priesthood under Christ. You slow down your life to walk at the speed of someone else's. You don't fix people's problems. You stand with them as Jesus does. You teach them to obey the commands of Christ. You weep with those who weep. You mourn with those who mourn. Because in Christ, you are part of a royal priesthood. One race, a royal priesthood. But you are also a people for his possession. And because of that, one thing that changes is that you recognize that you and everything that's yours... Our gods, number three. See, Jesus doesn't save you for your sake. He saves you for himself. I think many days I would do good to like write that on my mirror and just to remember that. Jesus didn't save you for you. He saved you for himself. So instead of using what the Lord gives you to get more things or or experiences for yourself, instead of using uh, what the Lord has given you to escape or protect yourself from the world, you do what Abram did with Melchizedek. You give the first 10% to God as an expression that all of it is his anyway. You give the first 10% to God, recognizing that he could take it all back at any second. As I read just yesterday, you give the first 10% to God, recognizing that God can do more in your life with ninety percent than you can do with hundred percent. In Christ, you are a people for His possession, not yours. Number four. You speak about God. One Peter two nine says, "You do, all, you are all these things: a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for His possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into His." marvelous light. This is the why. As a believer, myself, who has turned from my sins and confessed that Jesus is my Lord and, and, and my Savior, I've been baptized and, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Jesus is my high priest. Now, if you are a believer who has turned from your sins and confessed that, that Jesus is the Lord of your life and, and you've, you've been baptized in, in his name, those things are true that he is your high priest as well and he wants to give each one of his sons and daughters purpose by including you in the priesthood of all believers as people who can walk together in scripture and hold one another up to jesus in this life this means that you can lead people to jesus not just to church you can baptize in Jesus' name. You can proclaim the praises of God where you live, work, and play. You can love God and love people and love community. You can initiate and lead biblical community. You can plant churches and start missions while staying in the job and vocation that He has you in right now. You can be sent to share the light of Jesus in the darkest places. So, yeah, Blake, I'm just really one of those show them guys, and like eventually they'll ask. James Merritt said this on Twitter this week, if you say you believe the gospel but you never share the gospel, then you either don't truly believe the gospel or you really don't understand the gospel. Because if you understand the darkness that the gospel has brought you out of, you can't help but talk about it. It changes everything. I want to raise one more objection as I close. You say, Blake, what if I just don't want to be on mission? Like, what if I don't want to do all those things that you just talked about? I just want to live a faithful life and, you know, be free to follow Jesus how I want. I'm kind of cool just turning, you know, on my phone to some good church. Making sure that my tank is filled up for the week, you know. Like, I think I'm good with that, Blake. This is where I take a really unspiritual turn. Anybody seen the movie, Sweet Home Alabama? <laughs> okay. Sweet Home Alabama, opens up, right, and there's these two 10-year-olds on the beach, little boy, little girl, and they decide as 10-year-olds are gonna get married, right? And uh, the question is asked, why would you want to marry me anyway? And the younger version of Reese Witherspoon says, so I can kiss you anytime I want. It's a cute little line, right? And, great writers of the movie. Like, they come back at the end of the movie and it comes back. Like, oh, they're on the beach. And he says, are you sure you want to marry me? Why? So I can kiss you anytime I want. Like, you know, warm fuzzies all on the inside. It feels so good. Like, that's what church should be, right? Like, just warm fuzzies making you feel good. But you miss the whole point of the movie, right? Because in that movie, what they realize is like, So so they get married, these 10-year-olds. They end up getting married, right? And and then it doesn't go well, and so she leaves and goes to New York. And they're estranged but not divorced. And then when she meets a guy, she's actually got to get divorced. So she comes back, and then they got to work through all their junk that they didn't deal with earlier, sins, undealt with, right? And in the end, yes, they end up staying or getting married, however you want to look at it. And like, we're glad for that. But the lesson learned in the whole movie, right, is that it's not just about the warm fuzzies. It's not just about, like, why do you wanna get married? Well, so I can kiss you anytime I want. If you're married, you know that there better be a whole lot more reasons besides I can kiss you anytime I want before you say I do. And if you did, it's either really hard right now or unfortunately it may have ended. Like, I don't say that to your demise. Like, it's just a reality. There's so much more to it than that. Because doing the right thing for the wrong reasons will always lead to division. Right? You can get married because of the warm fuzzies, but, but if you don't have some other stuff, like some meet the right reasons for that, like if the Lord hasn't done that in you, then it's going to lead to division. But doing the right thing for the right reasons, and it's just a lot more work. But it comes with all the blessings. It comes with all the blessings. And the same is true for being the church. When we engage with the church, and I use the word engage lightly, for all the things that we want, when we begin to see the church as a a distributor of religious goods, man, things end up being divided and destroyed. It's like saying, we're going to get married because I can kiss you anytime I want. But when we begin to try and be the church for the right reasons and in the right ways, blessings come. And the right reasons and the right ways are found right here in 1 Peter 2.9. To be a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, sharing the good news of Jesus. And when that happens, and we're being the church for the right reasons and the right ways, blessings come, not because of our good works, but because we're joining Jesus on the outside instead of asking him to bless us on the inside and make us feel good. And this is when 1 Peter 2.10 makes sense. Because after that, Peter writes, once, you were not a people. Like, you weren't even a thing. There was nothing. Like, you, you, you weren't a people. But, now, you are God's people. You hadn't received mercy. Like, you didn't even know what it was to receive mercy for all the sins that you're trying to carry on your own, that are trying to save yourself from. But now, you had received Mercy can't save yourself you can't experience freedom by yourself you can't live independently by yourself as strange as it sounds you can't buy those things because even those resources came from the one who paid for your freedom from sin and death and in his grace we church are deployed together not divided apart Once we were not a people, but now in Christ we are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now in Christ you all have received mercy. And so today, as we finish and as as the band comes back, if you need the mercy of Jesus, if the Spirit has shown you that, that you not only can't save yourself, but that you need Jesus, I want to invite you to respond to what the Spirit is teaching you and showing you today. If you're here with us live, I'll be around as long as we need to have that conversation. Or you may even talk to someone that you came with. If you're online, we would encourage you to, to text at New Life CCC to 81010. And we'll have a conversation or start a conversation there with you about what it looks like to, man, to not just have Jesus as your, as your Savior, but as your Lord as well. We're so grateful for his word. I just want to pray for us as the band comes. Jesus, thank you for being our great high priest. Call us out this week, Spirit, when we try to save ourselves, when we don't deal with our sin the way that you would have us to, which is to confess it to you, to give it to you, and to allow you to heal and restore us, to bring us from darkness into light. We love you, Jesus. Help us to continue to press into these ideas about how great and how marvelous you are, about all the things that you do for us that we rarely even think of, but take for granted. Help us to give more of ourselves to you and to your church so that we can stay in step with your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.